You know, when we call ourselves acupuncturists and we say we went to acupuncture school, but we didn't, we learned this very rich, gorgeous, spiritual, deep medicine. And, you know, the old Chinese doctors only got paid when their patients were well, not when they were sick. So it was a wellness medicine. I'm Michael Max, and this is Geological. Running a business just might be the most powerful, spiritually taxing endeavor you could take on. It means you're not only putting your financial well-being in your own hands, it also means you're inviting in all the shadow judgments, beliefs, and fears that you've got around money, power, and authority. Taking full responsibility for your livelihood, unencumbered by the excuses of having a boss, the company policies, or economic conditions, is first and foremost a brave act of self-responsibility in that you've willingly dropped the convenient stories for why your life might not be going the way that you like. It takes courage to accept full responsibility for both your successes and your failures. Fellow Missourian Harry Truman is famous for having this sign on his presidential desk that read, the buck stops here. I aspire to that myself and I fail at it on a regular basis. Taking responsibility for your livelihood also invites you into meeting the three-headed dog of hell that I see so many healers struggling with. Those shadowy troublemakers, money, power, and authority. Any unresolved or festering issue with any of these three areas of life is an open invitation to having them show up in your business and don't think that it won't affect your clinical work as well. Any lingering issue tucked out of consciousness or denied and stuffed into the shadow will arise in the relationship with your patients. I erroneously thought that by having my own practice, I could circumvent dealing with my own lingering issues around these shadowy three. I thought if I focused enough on my ideals, I could get a bypass on my insecurity, greed, and ignorance. But greed is tricky because it's so easy to see it out in the world and so easy to turn a blind eye to the greed in my own heart. And I mistakenly thought that enough education would remedy my ignorance, but too often that education more firmly rooted my unexamined beliefs and biases. Perhaps the biggest mistake was thinking I could bypass the authority and commensurate responsibility that made me uncomfortable and had me compensating by, air quotes here, sharing power. But it turns out that was cowardly abdication. It helped nobody. When working as a doctor, it is incumbent upon us to know how to set and hold limits and be aware of the power that we hold, like it or not, based on position in the relationship. Practicing medicine is not easy, and it's not supposed to be easy. Beyond the work helping others, there is the constant wearing away of our own limiting attitudes and mistaken beliefs that slowly but surely arise and will require our considerate attention. 
I thought I'd get a pass on this kind of inner work because I was in service of helping others. I'd set out to do good in the world. I had noble intentions, but none of that exonerates us from anything shadowy or undigested that we bring into our practices. And here's the hard part. So often, what seems right in the beginning turns out to be an obstruction as time unfolds. Not attending to money will hamstring your capacity to have a practice with enough abundance and enough resources so that you can help others in a sustainable way. And blaming your shortcomings on the system or the unfairness of life, it's like betting against yourself. Focusing on what can't be done instead of doubling down on what can be done creates a blindness to serendipity in all the ways the universe is conspiring to help you. It is a subtle and important shift to go from no because to yes if. And if you harbor the belief that money is inherently bad, then here's a tip. Instead of thinking about price, focus instead on value. And if you really want to know about a person's values, watch where they're willing to spend their money. We've all run into uncomfortable and unfair abuses of power and authority. And for sure, especially in corrupt systems, these are used for control and for personal gain. But when it comes to your practice, when it comes to the domain that is yours to claim and yours to manage, that appropriate use of power and authority allows you to help others to foster growth and change in positive ways. We gain nothing from ignoring or refusing to step into the responsibilities of money, power, and authority. Like any powerful tools, they can be used for destruction or for fantastically generative creation. The practice of medicine is rooted in the process of observation, hypothesizing, testing, and evaluating, which is the foundation of the scientific method when you think about it. And the practice also grows out of the capacity to listen, wonder, and allow for an integrated sense of who the person is who's seeking our help. Of all the mysteries in the world, who we are is one of the most troublesome questions. And our patients bring that mystery to us when they're suffering. And so beyond what is easily seen and made sense of, there is the murky and the obscured. This too asks for our attention, but it's a different sort of attention. Practicing medicine isn't easy, but it can be a curiously satisfying practice as it asks us to attend to what's both easily seen and to hold a space for what is yet unrevealed. In this conversation with Annie White, we discuss what it means not just to be an acupuncturist, but to be a Chinese medicine doctor. That associating ourselves with a method is not as helpful as remembering the deep complexity and power of the thinking and perspective that guides the insertion of those needles. These conversations come to you through the generous support of our sponsors and members. All the sponsors here provide helpful products or services that you'll find beneficial in your clinical work. Worried that an EMR is too complex for you? Jane has friendly and knowledgeable support. Mayway Herbs 
is celebrating the 55th year of their family business. You're invited to make use of their vast library of resources. Are you concerned about the health of Mother Earth? AccuFast Needles is doing something about that. You can too. And later in the show, Ancestral Sturman offers up a sinew treatment, and the folks at Blue Poppy have something special to share as well. Do be sure to visit the sponsors page on the Geological website to take advantage of all the special offers our terrific sponsors have for listeners of the podcast. I don't know about you, but sometimes I take a step back and marvel at my acupuncture needles. I mean, they're the world's simplest medical tool, a sharpened wire and a handle. That's it. And with this simple tool, hundreds of health conditions can be resolved. I love it. What I didn't love was the amount of packaging waste I generated at the end of the day. But that has now changed too. Ever since I switched to AccuFast Earth-Friendly Needles, I reduced my packaging waste by 90%. Not only are they a great needle, but the folks at AccuFast plant a tree for every two boxes of needles I use in the clinic. By switching to AccuFast Needles, you'll be helping patients, planting trees, and joining a community of practitioners changing the world. Like our simple needle, being a part of the solution, it's simple too. Visit AccuFastNeedles.com slash Geological to learn how. Hi folks, I'm Yvonne Lau, president of Mayway Herbs. Our family business turns 55 this year, and we wouldn't have gotten this far without the love and support of our community. We're truly grateful and promise you that we'll continue to work hard to support you and your practice. Please visit Mayway.com to find the perfect Pumsar brand formula or formulate your own in our dispensary. Our site also has lots of articles, videos, and herbal recipes for you to explore. And tune into our podcast, Chinese Medicine Matters, for insightful discussions on all things TCM. Learn about treatment strategies and powerful herbal remedies. As we welcome the month of May, our focus is on women's health. Our newsletter articles and podcast episodes this month will highlight different aspects and unique challenges women face. So subscribe or tune in. And if you're a practitioner, get a discount on our women's health formulas this month. Just visit Mayway.com. This season and every season, trust Mayway Herbs for your health and wellness needs. And thank you for supporting Real Chinese Medicine. I love how technology can help to automate my office. And I want to share with you my favorite tool for doing so, Jane. Jane is a clinic management software in EMR with a human touch. Whether you're switching your software or going paperless for the first time, the Jane team knows that the onboarding process can feel a little overwhelming. That's why with Jane, you don't just get software, you get a whole team. Included in every Jane subscription is their award-winning customer support available by phone, email, and chat whenever you need it, even Saturdays. You can also book a free account setup consultation to review your account and ensure you feel confident about going live. If you're interested in making the switch to Jane, head to jane.app/switch to book a one-on-one -on -one demo with a member of their support team. And be sure to mention the code Geological at the time of sign up for a one-month grace period on your new Jane account. We touch on the profound amount of judgment that we often have of other oriental medicine practitioners how COVID has been a catalyst for personal 
and professional changes that needed an enzymatic spark and delve into some modern brain science that turns out to be helpful for the Shen. Annie lives here in St. Louis, so this is one of those rare conversations where we actually have a chance to sit down together in real time for tea and conversation. I hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. Let's get into it. Annie White, welcome to Geological. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. I'm happy to have you here, too. So you live in St. Louis. I live in St. Louis. We are having some nice oolong tea Which is delicious, by the way. I'm glad you enjoy it. It's always more delicious when you have company. It's really good. We're sitting here in the waiting room of Yongkong Chinese Medicine Clinic, (laughs) a.k.a. the International Recording Headquarters of Geological. I'm loving it. You're from St. Louis, correct? I am. Born and raised. Born and raised. I wasn't born, but I was raised. And so, of course, you know the very first question we have to ask. Where'd I go to high school? Where'd you go to high school? Oh, my word, really? I know. I hate You're going there? I hate that question, but, you know, this is just a very St. Louis thing. But you got to know. You got to know. You got to do it. You got to know. You got to know. Where'd you go? St. Joe. St. Joe? Yeah. That's a private girls' school. Well, it is. All girls. I loved it. All girls. Love, love, loved it. I would love to have gone to an all girls' school. No, just. (laughs) (laughs) Would have been perfect. (laughs) You would have been very popular there. Uh, I was not popular in high school. I was very shy. I was invisible in high school. But I think a boy-girl high school is a harder climate. You know, when you have all girls, yeah, you have your little groups, but it's not, there doesn't, there isn't that interplay of the male energy and the competition and the, all that stuff, you know? Well, not to mention all the hormones and... Yes. Yeah, so my niece daughter goes to MICDS here. So let's get the high schools into it. And my, my nieces go there, too. Okay. So what's really cool about that place is the junior high portion of it, seg- segregated boys, girls. Right. Right. It's just as that whole hormonal thing is kicking. It's like, okay, kids, it's like, cool. You're like near each other, but you're not intermingling. And then they bring them together in high school. And I have to say, not a bad idea. It's not a bad idea. And it's not about it. I don't know. I liked it. And that's all. I mean, you're going to talk to 20 people and you're going to get 20 opinions. Just like Chinese medicine. <laughs> that's exactly right. All right. Well, I'm glad we've got that out of the way. Well, now you got to ha- tell me. Parkway Central. Oh, okay, cool. That's a very good school. It was a good... Yeah, well, my parents, when they moved to St. Louis, they're... You know, we were... I guess I was eight years old. And of course, the thing is, well where is a decent school to send the kids to? Right. So Parkway was a good public school. and It's very good. That's what they say. Yeah. Yeah. So, all right. That's why you're so smart. Because my parents sent me to a good school? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Because <laughs> I had smart parents. There you go. I had smart parents. I think they, they were pretty on it, and my grandparents, too. It helps. You know, I think it does there's something you know i mean this really gets into culture it's like like what do you grow up with it makes such a difference of of who you become definitely i mean i don't think it's the only determinant factor but Mm. you know you'd rather come from people that are supportive than people who aren't conscious or aren't won't take care of you it really helps as a young person to be taken care of of course yeah 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 well 
you're an acupuncturist. You got other things that you do these days, and we're going to get into that later. But yes, I am an acupuncturist. But you didn't start out as an acupuncturist. I did not. You were... I was in banking. You were in banking. All right, banking to acupuncture. Yeah, right? Yeah, connect the dots. Well, my dad's a banker. So maybe it was that I dipped my foot in that pool. Mm. And another side of that coin was I always wanted to be a famous singer. And so I wanted a job that was extremely flexible. So when I did my auditions and my practices and all of that sort of thing, I could call my shots. You could run your own life. That's right. And so so I did. But then I worked all the time. And I did some, you know, jazz singing in Chicago, and that was fun. And I was in a rock band for a while. That was fun. But the thing that you thought would let you do what you wanted to do, it didn't work out that way. Right. Isn't that just the story of life? Well, my question then becomes, was it, you know, was I really supposed to go down that singing route? Because it didn't happen. You know what I mean? It wasn't that I didn't try. And it wasn't that I didn't engage. It's just that didn't happen. It didn't happen. You put some time and effort into it. And maybe I just really suck at it. My suspicion is probably not, but I think there's there's a lot that goes into any of the arts. Some of it is the talent and capacity that you have. Right. Some of it is who you know, especially in the arts field. Some of it's just plain dumb luck. And I don't necessarily have the temperament for it. I'm so sensitive that <laughs> I just don't know I could have. Anyway. I chose mortgages, and then I did not like mortgages anymore because it was not feeding my soul. So I up and moved to San Francisco, and I was working at a nonprofit, and I loved the idea of my work, and I didn't like the job. So I took an overview class in Chinese medicine and enrolled in a four-year master's degree program. Just like that. Bada bing, bada boom. Just like that. When you know, you know. Man, I argued with myself for years before I went to acupuncture school. I didn't. I I just knew. It was it it hit all of the good spots for me. It was health, it was spiritual, it was, you know, intellectual, it was all of it. And I I thought it was brilliant and I fell in love. Didn't look back. That was that. Well, I mean, you know, 2 3 years into it when <laughs> It's really hard in there. Like, if they don't kill you, they let you practice. But I still loved it. There is that in-between place. And I, I think it's not just acupuncture school. I think it's probably anything worthwhile where we get started and there's a kind of initial excitement. Yep. And then there's toward the end where you can kind of see the shoreline again. And then there's that space in the middle. And I think anything worthwhile has that kind of a trajectory. So what got you through that middle place with acupuncture school? I think because I'm such a science nerd, and at the core of it, I loved the learning part. Now, I went to back to school a little bit later. You know, I was in my 30s, early mm-hmm. 30s. And so I appreciated, A, being in school, and I like the process, but I think you're right in that we're swimming in the dark in some of these things that we choose to do, especially if it's an intuitive kind of soul choice. Because it's like, mm. wait a minute, this does this make logical sense? What in the heck did I do? Right. What have I jumped into? Yes. I see this dark water, and that is all I see. And it's inviting. 
It's dark, but it's inviting. It is. Yeah. In, until you're in it for a minute, and then you freak out a little bit, and then you have to calm yourself down. Right? What about you in school? What about me in school? I, when I first started school, I wasn't sure I was going to finish. I gave myself permission to bail at any point. I already had a master's degree that I wasn't using, mm-hmm. and I wasn't about to go through another whole damn master's program and not, not use it. I wasn't going to waste the time. I wasn't going to waste the money. I had a damn good job in high tech. And uh, although I was looking for something else at that point, it, you know, it's an okay place to be. A friend of mine, my first acupuncturist, actually, as I was still hedging, said, well, go to acupuncture school and you'll fall in love with it or you won't, you know, within the first few months. But if you fall in love with it, now you got a new career. It'll be great. And if you don't, then you just quit and you've learned more about something you're interested in. You cannot lose. So having the permission to quit was very important to me. And also great advice. You can't know what anything is until you figure it out. You've got to put your, you got to throw yourself into the water. So I threw myself, there we are with the water metaphor. Right. So I threw myself into the water and I did fall in love with it at, at, at some point. It was like, yeah, this is endlessly fascinating. And this is endlessly irritating because it's so difficult, but it's fascinating. And I'm never going to be bored. That's exactly right. Mm-hmm. So, so it worked. The super curious thing for me is that I was never interested in, in healthcare or medicine. I don't even like being around sick people. So it, it, it's kind of weird being in a, in a job like this, except that you know, when you think about Chinese medicine, there's this idea of Zheng Qi. There's always something about us that is correct, it's proper, it's upright. And so even though every day I see, I'm using air quotes here, sick people, I don't see my patients as sick. Right. They're maybe out of balance. They might even be dying. But I don't see them as sick. I see them in a wholer fuller context. And I I think this is one of the things I most appreciate about Chinese medicine. It gives me a a framework and it gives me some capacity to to see beyond, you know, the initial suffering, the initial troublesome thing. Well, and, you know, I hate to be cliche here, but to see beyond the symptoms, because it's never about the symptoms. And I know we know that. Mm -hmm. And the whole medicine is based on that. And that's You know, when we call ourselves acupuncturists, and we say we went to acupuncture school, but we didn't, we learned this very rich, gorgeous, spiritual, deep medicine. And, you know, the old Chinese doctors only got paid when their patients were well, not when they were sick. So it was a wellness medicine. It wasn't a sickness medicine, right? And I know you know this, but for me, that speaks volumes to health care, right? That's actually health care. Right. It's not sick care. It's health care. And what you're saying, too, is so important. Seeing people not as their sick story or as their sick symptoms, but as this person who is well, but they have something going on. That they're coming to you for. So you're bringing them to your reality of wellness instead Mm. of stepping into their reality of sickness, right? 
I feel like we get to give our patients options that they otherwise wouldn't have. Now, when I think of wellness, I think I also include sickness in there because that's, that's part of that balance. It is. You know, it's in there. And, and, and to deny the suffering someone may have or the illness or disease or cancer or reflux or lack of sleep or whatever it is isn't helpful. We can't deny it. But we can include more than that. Right. And what I'm, I guess what I'm saying is you're not stepping into that reality of that's who this person is. That's right. You're a patient with cancer. Well, no, you're a patient and you have cancer, right? This is something that we were talking about over tea a couple of weeks ago, that Chinese medicine, and you were just saying it a moment ago, Chinese medicine is so much more than just acupuncture. Acupuncture is a technique. Right. But Chinese medicine is a way of looking at the world, not just looking at it, but also living in it. So let me give you a good example. I like that. That was deep. I had to take a second on that. I like that. Tell me more. It's always interested me, the whole balance part of it, because our balance is interconnected with not only earthly balance, but universal balance, right? Mm. So, I mean, I'm going to try not to go on too, too tangential here, but with you saying that, the human is interconnected at all times. There, there isn't any place that we're not connected, mm-hmm. right? And to your point, it's intrinsic that nature's a part of that, and the seasons are a part of that, and the pandemic is a part of that, or whatever you want to say, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that's important to remember, and I think the people who are really good at this know that. I was just thinking of a little conversation that we had before we rolled the tape today. I asked you what you had for breakfast. (laughs) And you said, don't judge me. I had a cup of coffee with almond milk. Don't judge me. Don't judge me. I had a cup of coffee with almond milk. Now, yes, we can use our Chinese medicine filters to go, oh, that's some damp heat and that's not so helpful and, you know, blah, blah, blah. I mean, fill fill in your narrative, right? Or you could fill in, oh, a cup of coffee, great. Isn't coffee a joy in the morning? And isn't it wonderful to wake up and start your day with something that simply makes you happy? How could that not be medicine as well? Well, yes. And I believe it's our job on earth to vibrate at our highest frequency. And if it's coffee in the morning for me, that's what it is. But what... What I, what I was afraid of is you were going to say, oh, no breakfast, starting with the acidic coffee, Annie, you know, because I'm so used to kind of being judged. Mm. Kind of? Oh, okay, really being judged in our world because it's, you know, this healthy medicine. And I can't believe I'm going to tell you this, but. When I started Chinese medical school, I smoked. Tobacco. I did. Okay. I smoked cigarettes. All right. And What kind of cigarettes did you smoke? Marble Lights. Okay. And it was this- Midwest girl. Period of time in my life. Yeah, I started, I don't know, late 20s. But something said to me when I was in school, I said, okay, you know, if I'm really going to live this medicine- that has to go because that actually is very toxic. But every time I did it in front of anyone, I felt this judgment. I want to come back to judgment here in just a second. I smoked a bit when I was in China because 
Dr. Wang Jui, Smoke Like a Chimney. Amazing acupuncturist, wonderful man, just sweetheart of a human being, highly intelligent, great doctor, and he loved to smoke cigarettes, and he smoked away. And he'd give a class, and then we'd take a break, and he'd step out for a cigarette. Well, if you would like to hang out and get a little more something from Dr. Wong, go and have a cigarette with him. Yeah, you do. Yeah. And then it's kind of delightful. It was delightful. Mm -hmm. So, you know, everything has its place, right? I agree. Yeah. Everything has its time. Hopefully the lungs have all repaired, but... <laughs> Living in Beijing alone is like smoking a pack of cigarettes a day. Well, that's exactly right. Yeah. I mean, you walk out in that pollution and it's over anyway. It's, it's over, yeah. But I want to come back to judgment for a moment because this is something... I feel like I tread on this... You know, I've got a public-facing voice here. And, and I, this isn't just acupuncturists. I think this is human beings in general. You know, they say the hardest thing in the world to do is to get up and speak in front of other people. And the reason for that is because people are going to judge the hell out of you. This is kind of something that human beings do. But something I've noticed about our trade, which I don't think we talk about too much, but it's there, is how incredibly judgmental acupuncturists are of other acupuncturists. I think we throw more shade on our profession and our colleagues than any other profession out there. Agreed, and undeservedly. I think that we are picking, nitpicking at these fine points. It's like you eat meat, even if it's organic, even if it's grass-fed, even if it's all the things, it's like, oh, oh, I don't know about that. You know, I'm a vegetarian, I'm a vegan, and you know, I push my car because I really don't feel like gas is good of our, for our environment. So I really only ride in it when I go downhill. I mean, maybe I'm coming from California, but. Well, maybe you're coming from the Midwest. Yeah. I mean, it can get a little bit extreme. Well, like everything, yin and yang. Sometimes the extremes can be really helpful. Sometimes it can show us something that we wouldn't otherwise see question for me always comes up. It's like, well, how functional is it? Is it actually helpful? Is it helpful? That's a good question. Is it helpful? That's a good checkpoint. Yeah, if you stop long enough to check in. Right. Because judgment can be just so snap. Usually, I think judgment isn't completely conscious. Mm. Say more about that. Honestly, I think it's a protection mechanism for people. It's kind of like, I can have this power to judge you so that I make myself feel better. Hello everyone, Anne Cecil Sturman here. A working knowledge of the eight extraordinary channels from the unbroken oral tradition of acupuncture is valuable beyond words. The power of these channels is tremendous if the practitioner has well-integrated diagnostic, theoretical and practical skill. You'll be familiar with Dumai, the governor channel or the sea of Yang, the primal reservoir of Yang, which ultimately finances all movement and growth. But this channel also governs the ability to self-determine. The psycho-emotional presentation of your patients can be matched to a classical activation of this channel, clearing impedance in the free flow of Yang Qi to body, mind and spirit. I'd like to share with you the marvelous potency of the Do channel in a full-length live treatment video from the seminar I taught last year in Melbourne, Australia. 
It's at ancestalsturman.com forward slash sinews2024. Click on the jump to free teaching button or see the link on my Instagram page at ancestalsturman. Thanks, Michael. Back to you. It's kind of shadow stuff, right? The thing that I dislike about myself that I don't want to look at or don't want to work on might be causing me a lot of suffering, actually, but I'm just going to put that to the side, but I'm going to see it very clearly in you over there. Right. Or maybe I want what you have, but I'm going to judge you so I feel better about myself. That can happen, too. Mm -hmm. How do you work with it for yourself? My biggest issue with judgment is on me. So if I'm really judgmental of myself when I'm hard on myself, I know that I am on other people because... It can't be that I'm very judgmental of myself and not with other people. That's not a thing. So this is it, this is a thing that I grapple with and that I have grappled with. And maybe why I'm so sensitive to it. And when someone asks me a question like, what did you have for breakfast? <laughs> okay, don't judge me. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't like I had heroin. You know, I had a cup of coffee. Coffee. Yeah. I don't know why I'm doing like a Boston accent when I say coffee, but it's what's oh, it's happening. It's kind of fun to say coffee. 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 <laughs> coffee talk. <laughs> coffee. <laughs> Actually, we have oolong here today, mm. but we could serve coffee next time. I'm a fan of coffee for breakfast myself. How do you deal with judgment? How does that play out for you? Ooh, how do I deal with judgment? I will often use anger. Like, fuck you. Who do you think you are to talk to me that way? Right. Some, sometimes it's that. Uh I think I, I flip between poles. So one pole is that. Like, you don't get to talk to me that way. Who the hell do you think you are? And the other side is it goes all the way in, and I just roll over dead. Oh, you're right, and I am that awful, and, <laughs> and I, you know, I probably shouldn't even be breathing. I'm exaggerating a little, but just to bring out the polarity. Mm-hmm. So either my boundaries are working really, really well, right. like no and hell no, or completely permeable, and it just kind of takes me out. I mean, we all have things we want to work on. We're humans. Mm. I always say we're humans, not perfectans. And perfect people are boring. Oh, the patients who walked into my office and said they were perfect except for this back pain or whatever they have going on, I was the most worried about them. I'm like, oh, yeah, here we go. We're going to have a lot to unpack here. But we all have things we want to work on. And maybe sometimes with the judgment, it's hitting a chord somewhere that we we don't necessarily need to agree with. We just somehow it resonates even just a little bit. Mm -hmm. Well, I think that resonant hitting a chord, these are great metaphors, it, it rings something true in us. Now, what we do with the truth of that, okay, that's something we get to decide on in the moment. Mm -hmm. And on a good day, I can kind of sit with it. I can kind of go, whoa, that, that hits home. And then watch all the other thoughts and stories that come up around it. You know, on a good day. Right. On a good day. I, I can just kind of watch the narratives fly up in, in my own mind. It's like, okay, which one of these will be helpful for me? And I think that's so key because there's so many different times when we let ourselves tell ourselves lies. And I always say that lies feel bad and the truth feels good. So if something is helpful, it's going to feel good. 
And if it feels bad, we're probably telling ourselves a lie about ourselves. Maybe not. Okay. Hit me. Maybe not. I'm in the midst of reading a book by an evolutionary biologist, oh, Robert something with a T. And it's called The Folly of Fools. And it's all about how we do, de we do deceive ourselves. Partly because we also want to be able to deceive other people. But it's not just human beings. Nature runs on deception. You can see it in everything from the way uh, a moth will camouflage itself against a tree to a thing that looks like a stick, but it's actually a bug, to an octopus that has the ability to change its color and skin so it blends into the environment. Their, their deception is actually built into us, according to him. I'm, I'm just in the process of, of reading it and trying to entertain the possibility. So I would, okay, so the way that I would see that, mm. I see it a little bit differently. Because I feel that deception is conscious. And the things that you brought up are survival mechanisms. You know, the moth blends so it doesn't get killed. The stick bug blends so it doesn't get killed. Same with the octopus, right? And because they're not conscious, I would question where, whether they're deceptive or survival mechanisms. Deceptive or adaptive. Yeah, exactly. I don't know, which is why I'm quite enjoying reading the book, because it, it does go against a lot of what I think about in terms of like truth or deception. And truth probably should feel good in my mind. But this book is inviting me into looking at it a little bit differently. Nothing wrong with that. No, I think it's really helpful to challenge what, what I think is right. Definitely. I think you have to at some point. And that not everyone is always going to agree either. Especially myself. <laughs> right. <laughs> but it's also interesting to do. Well, I think it's what takes us forward. Mm -hmm. and, and it really helps us in our practice because... You know, our patients are mostly very, very different from who we are. And our whole medicine is about questioning. Mm. Right? We ask questions. We get to the root of the issue with questions. The questions are the guideposts that lead us to how we can actually help and interact. Right? Well, this gets back to something that we talked about a while ago. Chinese medicine is more than acupuncture. From a previous conversation you and I had around how other professions are doing, air quotes again, acupuncture, they're using needles, but they're not doing Chinese medicine. And that's why I don't want us called acupuncturists, because, you know, a chiropractor is an acupuncturist, a Western MD is an acupuncturist, because they are inserting the needles, Right. But they're not, even naturopaths, they're not doing Chinese medicine. That is our, I wanted to say beauty, but it's not even that. It's our efficacy. It's who we are. It's the, uh, now I'll say beauty. It's the beauty of this medicine is that it's so deep and rich in tradition and proven over thousands of years that it works. And acupuncture, you're right, is a great modality. But if you don't know how to do it right, it's like throwing darts at a dartboard, really. 
Sometimes you'll get the bullseye, but sometimes you won't. Sometimes you'll get close. The other thing for me about thinking of myself more as a Chinese medicine practitioner than as an acupuncturist, if I don't have access to needles for whatever reason, okay, I've got a way of looking at the world and a way of approaching the person that I'm trying to help. So could I use herbs? Could I use food? Could I use exercise? Could I use words? Could you use gua sha? Could you use cupping? That's right. Could you, so, right? Moxa, so many things that aren't even acupuncture. I know this is a hot button for me. This Well, I think it's a hot button for a lot of people. I suspect there are folks listening to us right now. They're like, what are those two people talking about? People are trying to steal our medicine, and they're mostly getting away with it. Agreed. And that's why with this whole name change, I'm really gunning for doctor of Eastern medicine. You know, naturopaths are doctors after four years. Chiropractors are doctors after four years. PDs are doctors after four years. I could go on, right? Mm -hmm. And why can't we let our, I don't want to say community, but our industry, whatever we want to call it, have a doctorate after four years like these other people? Well, aren't we moving in that direction? Well, I mean, I hope so. I, I don't regret getting the extra education that I did. So I, it's not like I'm trying to get a doctor. I mean, I, I, I did the six years. So, But what I want is a level playing field. And what I want is for us to be distinguished from other people, A, who do acupuncture, but B, who do other medicine. And to, in that name, just even in that name, to convey the richness and beauty and tradition of what we learned and what we know and what we practice. You sound a little passionate about I know. this. I know. It's a hot button, I'm telling you. It has been ever since I started acupuncture school, quote unquote. People would call it that. And I'm like, it's not that, though. I've always called it Chinese medical school. But now we're not allowed to say that with cancel culture. So I don't we know. We can't say Chinese medical school? I don't know. I mean. I know we can't call it oriental medicine anymore. Which is crazy because that's what the degrees are in. So we need to get this a little bit figured out. Yeah. It, well, you know, words are so interesting. And they change over time. The meanings of words change over time. Mm -hmm. We're treading into some pretty potentially deep, rough water here right now. I just want to call that out. Should we skip it? Uh, let's stick our toe in it. I'm curious to see where it goes. All right. All right? We live in St. Louis. I'll try to stay appropriate. Well, what would be what would be inappropriate? Well, I don't know. You know, well, now I'm going tangential again, but we live in this cancel culture where pretty much everything's inappropriate unless the judgment says it is. And maybe that's why during this time everyone's so triggered about judgment because... My gosh, if someone's wearing a mask or not wearing a mask or has their vaccine or doesn't have their vaccine or there's all of this judgment around all of it. And I am not saying that I haven't judged other people. I, I try not to. But those thoughts come into my head and then I have to be like, you know, Annie, come on. Mm -hmm. Dial it back. Doesn't mean they're wrong. Doesn't mean you're right. But you know what I'm saying with this? I love that phrase. Doesn't mean they're wrong. Doesn't mean I'm right. Wow, that doesn't mean they're wrong, doesn't mean I'm right. That sounds like a little mantra I could slip in when I'm feeling particularly persnickety about something. 
when I go to the Schnucks grocery store. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I remember growing, this is, uh, well, we can go as tangential as we want because that's just the way this thing rolls. It's your right? party. You can do what you want to. It's our party. It's our party today. Right. It is our party. This is why I like the podcast so much. It's our party. We can let a conversation unwind how it wants to unwind itself. And it's just our job to follow. I That's like it. it. So I grew up at a time, I kind of came of age in the 60s and early 70s, dating myself here. And the word bad meant bad, like not good. And then Michael Jackson comes along. And all of a sudden, bad means like good. And I remember as a, you know, as a young person thinking, how can the language change just like that? And then you go a few years along. And now the word sick doesn't mean bad. It means like really, really good. Is that funny? Right? Yeah. It's good insight. I remember when a white supremacist was somebody who thought white people were better and had active hatred toward other people. And now if you're white, you're just a white supremacist. I realize that we're going there and this is actually something I've wanted to avoid on the podcast. But I'm bringing this up because... I want to point to how fluid language is and how it's, you can't, um, what's the word I'm looking for, like disengage it from culture. We see this in Chinese as well. This is one of the reasons why any language is troublesome because over time, the meanings of things change. We certainly see it in Chinese where the characters at one point will mean something completely different from how they're used today makes it particularly troublesome when you're trying to understand medicine because you have to understand what did they mean in this in this particular context. Well, exactly, with the ancient text too. You know, when so much of this brilliance was developed and the interpretation, you're right, would be challenging because things have changed in every way. You know, even even the nature of seasons. I mean, if we're going Shanhan Lun, it was cold. People were cold a lot. And no central heating. And no central heating. And now we're in a hot culture. Like, there's so much toxicity. There is so much heat. There's mm -hmm. so much stress, right? So interpreting things differently according to health as well. Yes. Well, I see this with patients, too, sometimes. They come in and they've got something and they think it's really a big problem for them. It's troublesome to them. Sometimes it's a personality trait or a relationship they have or, you know, with another person or themselves for that matter. Just something about who they think they are. And, uh, and it troubles them, it troubles them deeply. And yet I listen to them talk about their life and I listen to, you know, I'm outside of them. So I, I've got a different view of them. Sometimes the things that people think are wrong about them are the things that are actually deeply, deeply right about them. True. And I think there's incredible healing that can come when, when folks are able to integrate that part that's been kind of split away. And accept all sides of themselves. I think that's something that maybe all humans struggle with a bit, right? Because we're not perfectins. We all have things to work on. But I think you take the view, and I did too when I was seeing patients, that when they walk in the office, part of it is love. And it's mm -hmm. not a romantic love. It's not a weird love. It's a, a more, and I don't want to use the word divine, but I'm going to. It's like a universal love. I'll say that. You know, there's this universal love there. And 
if you have that, then you can see that person. And like you were saying earlier, at their best state, even if they can't. Yes, there is that. And, and there's also the piece, and this for me is why I consider clinic to be kind of a sacred space. Mm-hmm. And I don't use that word lightly. I don't use these kinds of words lightly, but I consider it to be kind of a sacred space. And, and, and the reason I say that is because when someone comes into my office, it doesn't matter if they're male or female or something in between. It doesn't matter the color of their skin. It doesn't matter their political beliefs. It doesn't matter. All that matters is they're here and they would like some help with something. And to be able to inhabit a space with another human being where we can take all the usual noise, all the usual divisions, all the usual judgments, and just hold it more lightly, Mm -hmm. it's not only beneficial to our patients, but I think it's beneficial to us. Definitely. Every time. Every time. Every time. Yeah. I, I don't think you can go wrong with that. And it's challenging. You know, somebody walks in and they're, they're wearing a hat that says something. And I go, oh, you're one of those. It's like, all right, Mr. Max. That's right. Settle down. You have to catch yourself. You got to catch yourself. I remember when the pandemic hit. And um, I had to do that a lot, catch myself. Mm. What were you catching yourself on? It was, it was more political stances mm. and things like that. Mm-hmm. But... A, that's not my place. And just like I said, it doesn't mean you're wrong and I'm right. It just is. And, you know, a lot of people said President Trump caused a lot of strife and unrest. I don't believe that. I believe the things that he did shed light on things that were already there underneath the surface that needed to come up to the light and be seen. You sound like a Jungian. Do I? Yes, you do. Oh, no. Yeah, these characters come forth. They are fantastic screens for our projections. They are fantastic screens for the, for the difficulty of the moment. Uh, I think one of the beauties of COVID is that it shows, I'll personalize it, it shows me where I'm fractured. Yes, and because you're a microcosm of the macrocosm, it shows us all where we're fractured, it right? It can. It can. We can do that, but I think it helps to first see where I'm fractured. It does. And I believe it made some people more conscious and some people less conscious, maybe, but that's a choice. Gosh, is it a choice? Mm-hmm. How do you choose to be more conscious? Well, I think it depends on what level of consciousness we're talking about. But let's just say about other people. Do I consider you in this? Do I consider how I'm acting or what I'm saying or anything? How is that going to affect you? I believe that's one level of consciousness. And I believe that's a choice, either to see it or not to see it. Mm. Because you get a reaction. Now, do you ignore it or do you pay attention and maybe learn from it? Right. But some people just choose not to see it. And that's okay, too, because we're not judging. 
Oh, but it's so easy to, isn't I know, it? Right? Did, did you feel yourself? 100%. Yeah, I just, I just felt that little nudge like, well, yeah, but if you were a little more right, a little like, more on top of it, and a little more honest with yourself. Okay, yeah, Miss Judgy Pants. Yeah, Miss Judgy Pants, Mr. Judgy Pants, yes. Yeah, so it's, I guess it's just kind of baked in. We have to learn how to, we have to learn how to navigate it. What I've tried to do during this time is to try to respect everybody has their path, they're on it, and that's what's right for them. And all I can do is stay on my path and do what's right for me to the best of my abilities. Do I mess up? Of course. Mm-hmm. You know, do I make mistakes? Yeah. Do we make decisions based on incomplete information and then change our minds later when we see a bigger part of the picture? Yeah. Also a part of this journey and being human, isn't it? But I do think we have a choice. Mm-hmm. That we have a choice. There, There is something, it just seems to me, the tenor of the times often has us not looking at the choices that we have. Say more about that. That the world has unfolded in a certain way and we are just victims of our circumstances. Beautiful. It's so true. And I always come back to the question of what am I going to do about that? I've had the great good fortune to have gone down some not great paths in my life. And that at a certain point, I had to pause and go, okay, if I continue like this, my life is probably going to look like that guy over there. million percent. And so you got to take some kind of action in yourself. I mean, it, it really comes down to a sense of, of agency. Mm-hmm. Responsibility. And, re- and personal responsibility. Because that's all we can be responsible for, really. That's all we got. You know, I can't be responsible for anyone, even someone in my house or my family, anything. I can't be responsible for them or their decisions because they have their own agency. Mm-hmm. And their own path and their own lessons. Yep. And that's what I was saying about this pandemic. It's like maybe they're on a different trajectory or they're at a different lesson stage. And I'm not saying I'm at a better or worse one. I'm saying I'm at a, maybe a different one because I'm making different choices. But it doesn't mean one is better, one is worse. I think we're back to the judgment here. I know. Because, <laughs> Who knew? because often there is a story about this is better or that is worse. I know. So we're back to that judgment again. And we're back to they're not necessarily wrong and I'm not necessarily right. Wow, that's kind of liberating. It is. Because at the end of the day, we're all interconnected, but we also have no control. I, I heard someone once say something to the effect of, you are not to blame, but you are responsible. That's a tough one. You are not to blame for the situation of your life. Because there's a lot of stuff that's out of our hands. And sometimes you get dealt a really bad hand. Mm-hmm. But we are responsible for our, our choices. Absolutely. And I think no matter what hand anyone has been dealt... That agency and that responsibility personally 
are important because this is the only thing that we can control. This is the only thing that we contribute to our collective vibrational frequency. Well, and I'm, I'm going to just ground this here a little bit into it's also what gets you through acupuncture school. Right. It's what gets you through getting a practice built when you don't quite know what you're doing. It's what gets you through the middle part of a career when what you thought you wanted turns out, maybe I don't want this. Maybe I want something different. Or maybe I wanted everything I wanted up to this point, and now there's something else on the horizon that has my attention. And the allowing for that, because a lot of people don't. What I also love about Chinese medicine is it's not this or this. It's this and this. Yes, 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 yes. yes. Right? That's right. So if you can think that way, I think it helps. And it also helps making a career jump, you know, after you've had a successful career in something else. It's like, well, mm, I have to choose. And when you think more holistically, Mm. it's like it's a circle. It's not two different lines. Everything's included. You've done this recently. I did. I did. Yes. You you moved to St. Louis like just before the pandemic, as I recall. I did. I moved eight months before the pandemic hit. Uh-huh. And you had a practice going. I, well, I started the practice in January, and the pandemic hit in March. Great timing. And my dad passed away in February. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So... It was a shit show. Mm. But when I got to stop seeing patients for a minute because I couldn't, because it was face-to-face, because everything shut down. Right. I remember that moment. Yeah. It gave me a minute to work on my passion project that I had been working on for a decade. And what I wanted to solve was the reason that our brains are so stressed. What is that reason? And because of our medicine... It's about the why, right? Mm. We like the why. I love the why. And so I did a deep dive into neuroplasticity, how the brain works, right? And I wasn't trying to develop something myself to fix it. I was hoping that I would find a method that would work for my patients because I knew if they never got out of this high stress, high anxiety, and I'm in Northern California and every single patient was anxious, well, not every single, I can't say that. But many. Many. Common. It was a common common issue that walked in your clinic. Yes. And we know that, you know, the mental affects the physical. So I couldn't, even if I fixed one symptom, they would be back if these high stress levels did not abate, basically. Mm-hmm. So I, I kept asking the question. I think there's big power in questions. How, how did this happen and how can we fix it? And neuroplasticity was my answer. How did you come to neuroplasticity? Because I wanted to get into how our brains work. Because what I noticed was when we're stressed, if that doesn't stop, we get more and more and more stressed. Mm -hmm. And what can also happen is we become even more negative. And the crazy part about this (laughs) is that I got, I personally got to that point. Even after I decided to finish the book, and do all the things. It took me a minute because it's hard to see the forest through the trees sometimes. And I'm like, oh, my God, I need this. I mean, I'm a disaster. I was a disaster. I was, like, irritable, chopping the head off my poor husband. Like, I was afraid he was going to run off with the barista. I was like, I am a nightmare. <laughs> I need to fix this. 
So I used everything that I had developed. And basically what I developed, I'll keep this short, but what I developed were different exercises and techniques to build the calm and happy neural pathways in our mind because they're distinctively different than the negative and stress ones. And that's what I found through all my research. But what I didn't find was a great way to fix it. So that was what I was trying to do. In recent years, the Sa'am acupuncture style has generated significant interest and a loyal and growing following. In the Sa'am approach, a precise diagnosis leads to a four-needle treatment to address the five-element and six-chi imbalances in the body. The four needles target the controlling and generating cycles. It's common using this method for the needle sensation to be stronger than in many other styles. Thus, the choice of needle becomes important. The Unico brand of needles lends itself to both strong and gentle techniques. These superior needles are made of uncoated Japanese surgical stainless steel and feature the best guide tube on the market with its unique beveled edge. Additionally, Unico needles have a tensile property that helps with freehanding needles into Jingwell points and allows you to more easily feel the arrival of chi. Blue Poppy is the exclusive importer and distributor of Unico needles. Use the code QI2024 to save 10% off Unico needles at www.bluepoppy.com. You'll be glad you did. And actually, unbeknownst to you until a certain moment where it popped into your mind, I need this so bad. It's like, it's like, what's fueling my journey here? Oh, all these suffering people out here. Of course, it is not meant for me. I don't need this. I wouldn't need that. No, I'm doing it for my patients. Oh. I don't need, I would never need something like this. <laughs> so, Girl, you need this. Girl, you need this. And, oh my goodness, this is, this might be something that affects a lot of us in this profession. That it's okay to do what we want to do as long as it's somehow benefiting someone else. If it's, if it's not benefiting someone else, then, oh, I probably shouldn't be doing it. Right. Because it would never just be for us. So you had that great flash of insight that, oh, my goodness, I, I'm scratching my own itch here. Oh, yeah. I, w- I, w- I thought, my gosh, if I don't do this, I'm going to s- sincerely damage maybe some relationships Mm -hmm. just because I was so, I was so anxious. I was so stressed. I was so irritable. I was, and I, and my thoughts were, I would, do you remember Debbie Downer from the Saturday night live? Oh yeah. That was a long time ago, but yes, I remember. I caught myself being Debbie Downer sometimes. I mean, people would have a conversation with me and I would just go to like starvation in the world or like terrible. And I, I thought, my gosh, I'm there. How did I get here? I don't know, but I am. So now you got to find your way out. You're, exactly. You're, you're one of those those critical junctures. If I keep going in this direction, this is where I go. I need to do something. Yeah, and it wasn't a fun place to live. No, of course not. Right? Yeah, for you or anybody around you. Nobody around me. Nobody, yeah. I mean, and maybe people were making up excuse. They're like, oh, nope, uh, pandemic took a little bit of a spike. We can't come over. <laughs> Sorry, can't come over. Yeah. Sorry, Debbie Downer. Um, But yeah, and I was so excited when it worked because I knew the theory. So 
there are certain pathways in the brain mm -hmm. that have to do, let me see if I have this right, that have to do with the negative. There's other pathways that have to do with more positive. Mm -hmm. Do I have that right? Yes, it's more complicated than that. Of course. But it's areas of the brain so that they, they can use, they use functional MRI, mm -hmm. they use PET imaging, and they use EEG, right? And those are three different tracking mechanisms in the brain to see where different parts of the brain are activated with different, they call it negative effect and positive effect, right, if we're talking about scientific studies. There are overlaps, to be sure, Mm -hmm. But there are distinctive other parts of the brain that are activated with positive effect or happiness or gratitude than stress or negative effect. So it's interesting. Different parts of the brain. Yeah. Yeah. So here's what I thought. I thought, okay. And they also have done studies that people... And this is in a book, and he didn't say it was Shad Helmstetter, The Power of Neuroplasticity, and he didn't say the exact area, but he did say a doctor friend of his would look at people's brains after they died, and she could tell who was happy in their life and who wasn't by the size of the gray matter in different areas of the brain. So the gray matter are the neurons, the synapses, dendrite, all the things that are the activity. So I thought... Let's build those parts of the brain. Okay, how do we do that? And that's what I figured out. So how do we do it? Well, you have to activate the happy, calm, whatever positive effect that you want to activate in the brain. When you do that over time, it builds those neural structures so that, let's say me, let's just take me for an example. When I got into this situation, obviously my negative effect and my stress neural pathways were dominant, right? Mm -hmm. Let's even say they were, I don't, I'm, and this is not, I didn't study, I didn't do any imaging on myself, but let's say they occupied three quarters of my brain mm -hmm. because every single thought I thought I had <laughs> went down those tracks and the brain always will go with the path of least resistance, yes. right? Well, and the most connectedness. And the most connected witness. Neurons that... Fire together, wire together. That's right. Right? Yeah. So I thought, okay, I have to build these other ones up. And mm -hmm. I, didn't, I didn't really know this worked before I did it. I just had all the science. So I did all my exercises. I did all my step-by-step. -step. One of the things you can do in, in my program, it's a little more complicated than this, like exercise-wise, but gratitude... You know, there is a scientific reason they say that grateful people are at least 25% happier. Why? Because they have built that part of their brain, right? And those connections are more. It's just like more people want to go to New York. So there are more connections to get to New York, right? It's easier to get to New York than, let's say, Idaho, because people aren't going there as much. That, that makes perfect sense. And you mentioned gratitude, I think every single religion out there has some kind of, of, you know, prayers and gratitude over food, prayers and gratitude over all kinds of aspects of life. Right. And it's so easy to take whatever is present and just go, oh, yeah, that's great. Here it is. And not recognize how fortunate we might be. And then... Again, speaking for myself, I come to feel entitled and expect, oh, I should have this because I have this. Instead of recognizing, wow, I'm kind of fortunate Very. that I've got this. And I think, I think it's gratitude. 
I think appreciation even builds those neural pathways mm. more strongly because gratitude can, after a while, become a rote exercise. So tell me the difference between gratitude and appreciation. Gratitude is, you can say, I'm grateful for something, but in order to activate those neural pathways, you need to feel the emotions behind it, right? So gratitude can have its own emotion a little bit, but I feel like appreciation has more attached to it. It's like if I'm appreciating you, I may be feeling some love, some joy, some safety, some, you know, in addition to gratitude, because gratitude is obviously mixed in there. Mm -hmm. Gratitude lists... People are big proponents of those, which is great if you really get into the feeling behind it. So you have to get you have to get access to that feeling state. You do. To activate those neural pathways because they're the ones, those are the thoughts that activate and strengthen. I just had a conversation earlier today. Today's kind of podcast record podcast day for me. So I had a conversation earlier, and the fellow I was talking with was um, we were discussing like how you build a practice and how you build anything for that matter, how you create something. And he was saying, yeah, you need to know like the nuts and the bolts and the blueprint kind of thing, but you have to know the feeling that you're looking to have when you've arrived there. That's exactly right. And that's part of in the program too is when we're talking about visualization, manifestation, any of those types of things, the most important part is how you want to feel. You don't want that Lamborghini if it's broken down all the time. You want to feel whatever you want to feel. You want to feel fast. You want to feel powerful. You want to feel, and some people like a car because they want to feel safe. They want to know that it's reliable. You know, you want to live in your house for X, Y, Z reason. And I always say this with women because I think women get into a little bit of trouble in the relationship part of manifesting because you don't want anything other than how this person is going to make you feel every day. You want to feel loved. You want to feel adored. You want to feel safe. You want to feel respected. Start there, like your guy is saying. Totally agree because that is what we're all looking for. We don't want the things. We want the emotions that we get because of the things or the people or the pets or the trips or whatever. Sounds kind of simple when you put it that way. It's so true, isn't it, though? As we're sitting here and having this conversation, I'm looking back over decades of experience and realizing how much I've overlooked this very essential key aspect of how do I want to feel in that moment? And another thing that I really love that he said, as if it's already happened, right? He didn't say those words, but but that fits in. It's key. It's key. It is very key. You know, I can think, oh, I'll, I'll, I can't wait. I'll feel happy. No, I already have it, and that's why I'm happy. Yes. Well, and it's very easy to look, again, speaking for myself, there's something I want, there's something I'd like to have, or something I'd like to get rid of for that matter. And I usually have reasons for that, and they're always good reasons. Right. But what I think I've been missing is what is that emotional state that I would like to be inhabiting in the work that I do day to day with my patients, in the, 
in the work I do with the podcast, in the moments with my family, in the time just by myself when I'm writing or reading a book. What's the emotional state that I would like to be living my life through? Right. Because that's why you're doing all of it. Well, I've put a lot of other reasons in there, overlaid that on top of the emotional piece. So here's what happens with the emotional piece, at least for me. I need to be pretty damn honest with myself. Right. Or, or just focus on the emotional piece that you want, i.e. let's take a practice, right? What if I have a judgment about that emotion? Well, that's different. Then you want to figure out why. And is it true? And do you want to keep it? Because if you want to hold that emotion apart from you and apart from your life, that's your choice too. You don't have to have every single emotion. Let's say it's happiness. I'm not saying, I'm sure that it's not happiness. So that's why I picked it. So I'm, I'm not going to allow myself happiness because I think happy people are smug, you know? Mm. And I think... They disregard other people. They just, they're only concerned with themselves and their lives, right? Which yeah. is, which Narcissistic. is. Yes. Yeah. So I'm not going to be happy. But then I'm going to. Because that'll make me a better person somehow in my own judgment. Right. Because I choose my judgments over this emotion, mm -hmm. right? And you can do that. Of course you can do that. But the, then the question is, do you really want to do that? And is it really true? Right? That's always a great question. Is it really true? Is it really true? Like Gandhi, I think he was pretty happy. I was going to go Mother Teresa, but then I know she had a dark period, so we don't have to go there. So he was pretty happy, and he wasn't anything bad. He wasn't smug. He didn't only think about himself. He wasn't a bad guy. He was a good guy, and he was happy. So it's also finding examples of people who are or have that emotion that contradict your judgment if you want that emotion. And maybe some people don't. I, what I want to say is I'm fine with being happy. No, I know that. I know that. That's no, why I, I picked I, that. No, well, yes, yes. I, I, I do want to say that. And as we're having this conversation, I realize all the little voices that say, that's not such a good thing to do. You're thinking too much of yourself. That's being selfish. I think selfish is interesting because, okay, <laughs> we are on this earth to vibrate at our highest frequency because we are all interconnected. So if I have a higher frequency, I'm going to raise you. Mm -hmm. And that's our job. So by me being happy, I don't believe that's selfish. I believe it's actually really helpful to everyone else around me because my vibration is higher. Therefore, theirs is going to be raised. At least they'll have the opportunity. But intrinsically, if we're all one energy, it will be on some level. Now they can choose to lower their own whatever in response, but I'm doing my job, mm -hmm. you know? And there is, how do I say this? Um, when you're around happy people, it's easier to feel happy. When you're around people that are negative or you're around people that are fearful. But let's go back to vibrational frequency. Why? Because their happiness is raising your vibration. Their negativity is lowering your vibration. 
Because on a physics level, on the quantum level, all we are is vibrating energy. That's all we are. Nothing else. And if we're all vibrating energy and we're all interconnected, then everything we think is affecting everyone else. And I'm just saying think, but think, say, do, blah, blah, blah. You're kind of talking around an aspect of a thing that we call chi. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but it's everything. Yeah. And we do know that certain kinds of chi are used to treat other kinds of chi. We can use jung chi. We can use that upright chi to treat something that's pathogenic. We can use a, a higher emotional vibration to help change the situation. Bada bing, bada boom. Okay. So this might be why I like to have laughter in my clinic as much as possible. 100% because it's more healing than maybe even anything you'll do that day. Mm -hmm. It's so important. One of the things, I, I'm going to use appreciation here for a moment because we're just talking about it and it's helpful. So I, I want to practice, but it also feels good. So I want to appreciate the conversation we're having right now. I want to appreciate you for bringing it up this way because usually when I hear people talk about vibration and energy levels and things like that, I just want to barf. I know. It just drives me crazy. And yet I'm sitting here and having this conversation with you and I keep thinking to myself, that's right. That feels right. That makes sense. Maybe because science. Because science? Science. Physics. Right? Because when we have explanations like solid explanations like science and physics, it's not woo-woo anymore. It's not Annie thinks this. Uh-uh. Physics thinks this. Science thinks this. It can all be proven this way. Maybe. Maybe. Well, the thing that you had to say about the gray matter in certain brains, its development or underdevelopment, would have something to say about the psycho-emotional experience of the owner of that brain when they were alive. That's what they're saying. And that happier people have a bit more gray matter in those areas that are distinct to positive affect. And I'm going to use positive affect as positive emotions because mm -hmm. that's how they, you know, studies love to say things like that. So then it's like, okay, if I want a bigger bicep muscle, what am I going to do? Well, I'm going to do exercises that will build that bicep muscle. How do we build those neural pathways in our brain? And that's what this work, my work has been about, figuring that out. And am I the first person to say this? No. You know, um, Rick Hansen, I think, he wrote um, Hardwiring Happiness. And I, he got the science right. And what he wants people to do is marinate on happy emotions when they feel happy, which, of course, could build those neural pathways, right? Marinate on happy emotions when you feel happy. Yeah, so it's... So, like, make the most of it. When it's happening, I'm back to appreciation. I'm back to attention. I'm back to an overused word, mindfulness. But yes, being attentive when it's present. Yes, which is great. It didn't work for me, but could it work? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. What did work for you? I had to have a step-by-step -step process that I would have make concentrate, like going to the gym. Mm. My, my course is like gym for the brain, you know? 
that's what it is. It's very, it's systematic, it's set out, it's step by step in order to achieve X, Y, Z. Because for, for me, I did, I tried the other way. And I know it can work for people and maybe it has. For me, it didn't work. But same concept. It's like learning medicine. It's like learning language. It's like doing almost anything. You need to put some focused attention. It's like getting into good physical shape. You know, I can't buy a gym membership and go watch the spin classes. I wish. <laughs> you know? Well, this is the difference between knowledge and experience. Mm -hmm. Knowledge does not get you very far. It really doesn't. You can be, you can know, air quotes, know a lot of things, and it changes nothing. Right. There's something about that experience that shifts things. Knowledge plus action. Knowledge plus action. Action is everything mm. in our physical world. Mm -hmm. Well, we often talk about movement of chi. Mm -hmm. And when it's blocked, you have troubles. And when it's free-flowing and moving, things go... Heck of a lot better. Heck of a lot better. Yeah. Hmm. I feel like... I've been handed something today between this conversation with you and one that I just had previously today. I feel like I've been handed something about the incredible power of emotion and affect and how often I have felt like that is completely outside my control, that I am a leaf in the wind around that. And, and what I'm hearing you say, and what I heard someone else earlier say, is this isn't the leaf, this is the root. Because when you put the power back in people's hands, it's like, oh, okay, wait a minute, I can be calm and happy, but I have to actually do what it takes to get there. It's not about what life has given me. It's not about how many things I have, or what car I drive, or any of this other stuff. Now, if someone's in an abusive relationship, obviously that is going to, th that's not what I'm talking about here. Or they have a major drug addiction, okay? That's not what I'm talking about here. But we have the power, which is so cool. We have the power to change it. Where would people go to find out more about what you're doing? I have a website. It's, it's www.mycalmcode.com. Calm code. Calm code. <laughs> Where'd you come up with that? I just came up with it one day. It just showed up. Yeah. This is so much fun with the so creative fun. process that, that things will pop up and you're like, holy smokes, where'd that come from? That's perfect. You are fun. I mean, you're so articulate and I just love being here and... L actually love conversations with you because it always enlightens me on at least two or five things. Oh, wow. Well, then we should have some more of these because I've learned a tremendous amount from you today. And, you know, we've had some previous conversations, which is why we're here today. You know, one of the topics that we wanted to talk about that we just don't have time for, maybe we'll ha just have to come back, is uh, we were talking about unbusiness school. 
Well, and another thing last time I talked to you, and you absolutely blew my mind, was about when patients become truly healed, they forget they had the problem in the first place yeah. because the healing actually was that deep. You got to cover that sometime because okay. that blew my mind. All right. Well, I'll just make sure that we've got some more tea and we'll come back another day. Annie, thank you so much for joining me today. It's always fun to hang out with you here in lovely St. Louis, Missouri. Thank you for having me. I love being here. Years ago, I had a boss who introduced me to the idea that humans are not at all rational, but rather emotional and rationalizing creatures. I was not capable of digesting that idea in any meaningful way, and it ran so counter to my family's story of use your head. And then years after that, when studying Chinese in Taiwan, I had a very adept student of language tell me, it's easy to remember words so long as you can hook them to some powerfully emotional experience. And I found this to be absolutely true. And it was in this conversation with Annie that it struck home in a deep way that we can consider what kind of feelings we'd like to have and inhabit as we craft our future. Contentment, security, love, appreciation, trust, courage, having this as a foundation for life in the coming year, yeah, that sounds pretty good. It's so easy to lean on other emotions like anger, outrage, and discontent, and those can be powerful fuel for change. But it's not something to build a peaceful and productive life on. I'm so appreciative to have Annie point out that we can choose the feelings that we want to inhabit. That is a practice worth investigating. Thanks as always for listening. If you liked this conversation, if you learned something new or found a moment of inspired insight, share the episode with your friends. If you want to support Geological, there's just one way to do that. It's by going to the website and becoming a member or leaving a one-time contribution today. Well, folks, that's it for today. Join us again next Tuesday for another conversation that connects up the voices of our community. Mm-hmm.